Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So last night was a lot of fun just being together and as we were reflecting on uh, the things that God has done thus far in the past, it just gives us greater confidence for the things that he's going to do in the future. And I'm just so excited about what God is doing in our church in the right now and in, in the coming years, what he's going to be doing. And as we, we talk about this time of halftime, obviously we're, we're talking about it relative to the Boundless Initiative and the things that God is doing during this particular season. But it was just on my heart as we were thinking about um, what God is uh, doing in our church and what our future will look like, I was reminded of a, of a passage of scripture uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter three. You can start turning there at, at, in, in your Bibles if you would. But at, I want to kind of set it up by describing uh, a term that I heard a few years ago from pastor and author John Ortberg, and I had never heard the term before he used it, but as soon as he said it, I immediately knew what he was talking about. He talked about the idea that every person and every church has what we might call a shadow mission. John writes, without an authentic mission, we will be tempted to drift on autopilot, to let our lives center around something that is unworthy something selfish, something dark, a shadow mission. Our shadow missions are those patterns of thought and action based on temptations and our own selfishness that lead us to betray our deepest values. The result, regret and guilt. Now here's the thing, you and I were created to have a mission in life. We were made to make a difference. But we, if we don't pursue the mission that God has given us, It's not like we won't have any mission at all. We will certainly find a substitute. We cannot live our lives with an absence of purpose. Without an authentic mission, we will end up giving our lives to something far less worthy than our true mission. We will give in to our shadow mission. And what is true for us as individuals is also true for churches, which is why I thought it was useful for us to look at this section of Revelation chapter three. And Jesus is gonna speak to a church in Laodicea that I believe had given in to their shadow mission and had fallen uh, off the pace that, that, that God had, and the, the direction that God had given to them, the mission God had given to them. Now, as you look at Revelation chapter two and chapter three, just again, setting up what we're gonna look at, I want you to know that Jesus is giving seven short messages to seven churches in seven different cities in what at that time was called Asia Minor, but is now in modern-day Turkey. And in each of these messages, he's giving them some encouragement, some correction, some condemnation about specific things, and the last of the churches that he addresses is the church in Laodicea. And I'm excited for us to look at what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, because in so many ways, I think the church in Laodicea is a lot like the church in the United States today. And and part of that has to do just with the fact that they were an economic powerhouse. The city of Laodicea was a center, it was a hub of economic growth. It was located at a crossroads, at two major uh, trade routes. There was a crossroads there in Laodicea. And because of that crossroads, a lot of trade took place there, and they were very wealthy. The, The people of Laodicea had a thriving garment industry, and they were actually famous in the Roman world for the production of very expensive and tightly woven black wool. 
Now, this black wool was in high demand across the Roman Empire. Laodicea was also one of the leading cities uh, for their medical school. They were one of the first uh, places to produce a medicinal eye salve, and then they could sell that, and so that was another source of wealth. But these factors, the fact that they were at the major trade route, the, the black wool, and this eye salve contributed to the financial success of the Laodiceans. And throughout Roman times, this city was one of the wealthiest in that entire region. But unfortunately, the church in Laodicea was not doing as well as the city's economy. As you look at this passage, it, I, I just want to start in verse 15, because Jesus is going to say to the Laodiceans, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, there's an image from God. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The Flink family, we have a 10-month-old, so we know a lot about people spitting things out of their mouth. That's not a pretty image. It's gross. Spitting something out of your mouth, that's not a sign of I like it. It's not a sign of approval. And yet, despite the fact that Jesus loved the church in Laodicea, despite the fact that Jesus was willing to die for the people of Laodicea, when he looked at their behavior, it made him want to spit them out of his mouth. I know your deeds. I know how you are living. You are lukewarm. And I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And we might say, well, why would Jesus say like, something like that to them? It seems so harsh. But I, I think, actually, the better question is, instead of asking why he would say that to them, we need to think about, well, what would Jesus say to us? Jesus, what would he say to me? What would he say to Brookville Road Community Church? Jesus knows our deeds as a church and as individuals, just like he knew the deeds of the church in Laodicea. What would he say to us? Would he call us lukewarm? Now, sometimes when I've heard pastors speak on this particular passage, I've heard them take verse 15 and interpret it to mean something like this. Jesus either wants us to be hot and passionate towards him and really love him all in, or Jesus wants us to be cold and against him. He, he wants us to pick a side, he, either hot or cold. But I actually don't think that God wants any of us to be cold and against him, so I don't know that that interpretation makes perfect sense. But let, let me share my understanding of the passage, which was formed by uh, watching a DVD of a Bible scholar named Ray Vanderlaan, who points out that for the Laodiceans, when Jesus spoke to them and said, you are lukewarm, he says that language of being lukewarm, it would have really hit home for them because their city was actually known to be afflicted with lukewarm water. Let me give you a little bit more background. Laodicea was actually located in between two other big cities, Colossae in the north and Heropolis in the south. Now, Heropolis was about six miles away from Laodicea, and it was famous for its hot springs. These were large baths in the city, and people would come from all over Asia Minor to sit in these hot mineral springs of Heropolis and soak their tired bodies as a form of therapeutic relaxation. Pastor Paul would have loved Heropolis. That would have, that's, that's his thing. Now, on the other hand, the city of Colossae in the north, it was about 11 miles north of Laodicea, and it was built at the base of Mount Cadmus. And Ray Vanderlaan writes that because of the ice-cold snow and rain-fed streams that rushed down from the snow-covered peak of Mount Cadmus, people in the fertile Lycus River Valley commonly talked about this wonderful, invigorating, fresh, cold drinking water from Colossae. So you might say, well, what does Colossae and Heropolis have to do with Laodicea? Well, here's the, what it has to do with it. 
despite all the advantages that Laodicea had, one problem, one disadvantage that it had as a city was that it did not have a good water supply. In fact, scholars and archaeologists tell us that no other city in that region was as dependent on external water supply as Laodiceans were. In the 1960s, archaeologists did extensive excavations in uh, that part of Turkey, and they excavated these elaborate aqueducts that the Laodiceans had built to both Heropolis in the south and Colossae in the north in order to pipe water into their city. But unfortunately, despite their best efforts, the quality of the water that came into their city was not good. After traveling six miles through the aqueduct system, the hot mineral water of Heropolis wasn't hot anymore. It was tepid at best. It was not worth soaking in. Furthermore, because of the minerals from the hot spring, it was not good to drink. You couldn't drink this water that came from Heropolis. In the same way, by the time the cold water from Colossae arrived in Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It was no longer refreshing, but was lukewarm. And apparently, we, we can, we've written, there are scholars who uh, have found writings about this, uh, about the wa drinking water in Laodicea. Apparently, the water from Colossae, as it traveled through the aqueduct, developed this terrible taste that literally made people feel sick to their stomachs and sometimes throw up. So with that background in mind, just think about what Jesus says in verses 15 and 16. Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea, you guys are just like the water supply in your city. You aren't cold and you aren't hot. You are lukewarm and I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. And for us to really understand that, that, that Greek word translated spit, it literally means vomit. Jesus is like, you, I can't stand it. You're lukewarm. It makes me wanna vomit. Now what's interesting is if you look at Revelation 2 and 3, if you look at the things that Jesus says to the other churches in Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Laodicea and Ephesus, or I'm sorry, and Philadelphia and Ephesus, if you look at what Jesus says to them, almost always, Jesus has a specific condemnation about some big sin that the people were struggling with. Maybe, maybe uh, he's kind of implying that they're struggling with emperor worship or they're giving in to idolatry. Maybe it's a sexual sin. Maybe it's a church heresy that has come up. And Jesus condemns these big sins and said, you need to stop it. And it's interesting, the church in Laodicea, they don't have any big sins like that. There's no headline like, stop doing this. And yet, even though they haven't given in to some big sin like that, Jesus is upset because they're not doing anything worthwhile in his name. Their lukewarmness makes him sick. And I actually think that this flows right into what I was talking about earlier when I talked about the danger of a shadow mission. You see, our shadow missions, they're very rarely big sins. Like, we, we don't pursue a life of wickedness and just, or as we're, we're, we're making a decision, we think, you know what? <clears throat> I would like to pursue a life that would lead me to become the kind of person um, like Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. That's the life I'd like to live, and I'm going to pursue everything following that. No, that's not how a shadow mission usually develops. What happens is that we make a series of choices, and they become more and more self-focused. And as a result, we do things more and more for my needs and my wants and my desires. And so we end up pursuing a life that is small and trivial. And I think it is the smallness of our shadow missions that ends up making them so tempting. Because if we were to look at any one decision all along the way, we might not say, that's it. I'm gonna write a whole letter to, to you about like, don't do this. But like, it's a pattern. 
It's a gradual slide and decline from our true calling into our shadow mission. And I think that's what was happening in the church in Laodicea. And another thing that's interesting about Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea is in some of the other letters or some of the other messages that Jesus is sending to these other churches, sometimes, like for instance, in the, to the church in Sardis, Jesus only condemns some of the people. He, he's very clear that some of you are engaging in this behavior and it, it's not okay. But Jesus doesn't use that kind of qualifier for the church in Laodicea. It seems to be that he's writing to all of them. This is a letter addressed to the entire church of Laodicea. In verse 17, he says, you say, and again, there's, there's no qualifier. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, just look at these words. It doesn't even seem like Jesus is talking to a bunch of Christians. He says, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Just, just this word blind. What would amazing grace have sounded like to the church in Laodicea? I once was blind, but now I'm, well, I'm, I'm still blind. Jesus says, I'm still blind. There's still a problem. He's looking at them and he says, no, it's not okay. You might not be struggling with any of these big sins, but I'm not happy because Jesus wants us to understand that the Christian life is more than just avoiding sin. Our lives must make a difference. We must engage with our true calling, with our true mission. So as we think about them in Laodicea, I think a question that we need to ask ourselves is, what does Jesus think about the quality of my life? Would Jesus say that I am lukewarm? Yeah, maybe when he looks at my life, he doesn't see any of these big sins. You know, I'm not having an affair I don't, you know, beat my wife or beat my children. I, I'm honest. I don't steal. I, I try to be truthful in the things that I, I say and do. I, I'm not, you know, stealing from, you know, my, my work. I, I'm not doing any of these kinds of things. But God says, there's more to it. You've got apathy, and that's a big problem. Because Jesus didn't just save us so we could sit around watching Netflix and wait until we get to heaven. You know what, Jesus, if I'm just sitting here and doing nothing, well, then I'm not, you know, I'm not lying, I'm not cheating, I'm not doing all these awful things. And Jesus says, that's, that's not the point. I made you so that you could do something, so that you could be part of this mission to reach the whole world, to expand the kingdom of God. And if you just sit there and wait to die, you're not part of it, you're missing out. And again, what is true of us as individuals is of course also true for us as a church. God has not blessed us as a church simply so that we could have a bigger building. In fact, this week I was talking with some of the other pastors and I was just saying, you know what would be just awful? We were talking about Boundless and all the things that were happening and I said, you know what would be so awful is if the highlight for 2020 as a church was that we got into the new building and we were able to worship in there. And that was like the best thing that happened for Brookville Road Community Church in all of 2020. Because, like, no. no we want to be changing lives. God has called us to help transform our community. Jesus said that we should pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're supposed to partner with God to help bring about God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, he, Jesus is the light of the world, but also he says that we are the light of the world. And so we're supposed to be shining our light. That, that's our true mission. But tragically, far too often, we in the church settle for our shadow mission. And instead of going out to share the message of Jesus in a world that 
can be sort of dangerous and uncomfortable. We stay in the church and we focus on trying to create safe spaces where we can feel secure and comfortable. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, and I believe to all of us, I wish you were either cold and provided people with refreshment or you were hot and provided people with healing and therapy. But the fact that you are neither of those things makes me sick to my stomach. Our God does not want us to be passive. We need to get in the game and do something. We need to be all in. There will be consequences if we give in to our shadow mission and live lukewarm Christian lives. There will be Consequences for our church, consequences for this community, and consequences for us. I do not know, on sort of an eternal salvation level, what Jesus means when he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That doesn't sound good, though, and I don't want to find out. And as one of your pastors, I don't want any of you to find out either. We need to get in the game. Now, if you look at verse 17, just moving right along, and as we think about this idea of doing what Jesus has called us to do, I want you to see in, in, in verse 17 again, this, I am rich, I don't need a thing. That's, that's an interesting thing for Jesus to identify, that that's what they would say. Because those aren't just idle words. The Roman senator and historian Tacitus, he was kind of, writing around this same time, just before the book of Revelation was written. In AD 60, he writes about an earthquake that hit Laodicea. And it's interesting, the Laodicean people, their officials, their leaders, they refused all aid from their Roman leaders. They, they refused any financial help from Rome. They turned down the Roman version of Fina, and then, then instead they said, we've got this. We have enough money, we have enough resources, we have enough leaders. Part of their self-identity was that they were self-sufficient. That's why the church says we're rich, not needing a thing. And Jesus says to them, it's time for you to see the truth. You can say that you've got everything, but that, that's not right. In verse 18, he, he's going to tell them, he says, you, you guys say that you're incredibly wealthy, but you're not. Because of your position on the major trade routes of their debt, you think you've got it, but, but you don't. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. The Laodiceans thought they were the envy of the entire Roman Empire because of the expensive black wool that was being produced in the nearby Lycus Valley. But Jesus says, you need to come to me and get white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. They thought they were the leaders in the realm of ophthalmology because they were some of the very first in the history of the world to develop medicines that treated eye disorders. But Jesus said that they needed to put salve on their eyes so that they could see. In so many ways, in just this one verse, Jesus is saying all those things that you've been putting your confidence in, all the things that made you think that you were rich and didn't need anything, you can't put your confidence in any of that. He tears it all down. And when we think about Jesus tearing down all the things that they had placed their confidence in, we need to recognize that his words were not intended to humiliate them or punish them. They were designed to correct them. It seems clear to me that Jesus wanted them to understand that they needed to measure their lives and the lives of their church by his standards and not their own. And of course, that makes sense because we understand that when we measure our lives 
by other people's standards or how we compare to other people, that standard can kind of float. It can move around based on the people that we're around. But Jesus' standard never changes. Let, let me just give you an example about how standards can change based on the people that you're with. When I grew up in China, I played basketball with a lot of Chinese people. Now, this was in the early days before Yao Ming and before, you know, a lot of people were in, in playing in China. It was a relatively small percentage, you know, maybe 10, 20%. So only 100, 200 million were people were playing basketball. Some, some Chinese population humor there for you. Anyway, I would play basketball all the time, almost every day. And so often, I would have people come up to me and say, you are so amazing at basketball. Chinese people, you're awesome, you're so good. And I never had the heart to tell them, well, here's the thing. It's not that I'm so good. It's that you're kind of terrible. That's how deceiving standards can be when we compare ourselves to other people. By Chinese standards, back in the 90s, I was a great basketball player. But by American standards, I wasn't all that great. In the United States, as I was growing up, I was really good at soccer. But when we went on a mission trip to Brazil, I was pretty terrible. I was an embarrassment. And what is true for us in sports when we compare ourselves to other people is also true in our spiritual lives. Basing our standards of how we are doing on the people around us, and like, I'm a little bit better than him, not as good as her, that can delude ourselves into a false view of how things are going. Jesus wants us to measure our spiritual lives by his standards, not by our own. We might think we have it all together and say, I don't need anything from you or from anyone else. But Jesus says, it's time that you see the truth about your situation. Because in my eyes, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And again, these words, they seem harsh. But Jesus disciplines us. He rebukes us because he loves us. I'm thinking about when I was a little boy, I don't know if anyone else's dad would say this to them right before he would spank you, but when I got in trouble with my dad, he would almost always look at me. He was in first service, and he acknowledged that he would say this, this is gonna hurt me more than it's hurt, gonna hurt you. I do not say that to my children because it does not seem true to me. <laughs> I, I know who's going to be in pain at the end of this encounter. Um, but any, anyway... The thing is, when Jesus says these words to us, he has a plan. He understands. He, he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And, and how are we supposed to respond to that? So be earnest and repent. I think that's the call that Jesus is making for us today. The question is, are we so self-sufficient and self-reliant that we feel like we don't need anything from Jesus. We don't need his resources. And I, I mentioned that they're his resources because if you would listen to this message and you might feel some sort of conviction or whatever and you would think, I just need to try harder. I need to do better. I need to be a better Christian. I, I just want you to know that I will have failed you. you. You have missed the point of this passage. Yes, Jesus is disappointed with the quality of our faith and how we are living spiritually, but the answer is not to frantically try to impress him more the answer is we need to spend more time with Jesus and fall more and more in love with him. In verse 20, it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This picture, especially in the ancient world, of two people eating together, what we would call table fellowship, that's a, it's an idea of acceptance and, and relationship. 
And when you have that kind of connection and relationship, it, it changes things. I believe that if we're truly in love with Jesus and have a relationship with him, we don't just know about him, but we know him, everything else will begin to fall into place. When I was in college at Taylor University, I fell in love with my wife, Becky. And it was an amazing thing. I had actually been dating someone earlier in my time at Taylor, and I actually thought that we might get married. That, that was a possibility, but it, it kind of fallen apart through a series of circumstances. And for about a year, I had been trying to get over that breakup and over my broken heart. I had tried all these different things, so I just didn't think about that girl anymore. But when I met Becky, I no longer had to remind myself, don't think about that old relationship. I just naturally only began to think about her. I didn't have to psych myself up to spend time with Becky I couldn't believe a beautiful woman like her actually liked me. It was not a common experience that I had. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to buy her flowers. I wanted to take her on dates. After I graduated and she was still a student in Upland, I wanted to drive from Greenfield to go up and spend, even if it was just a few hours with her, I wanted to do that because I loved her. And the more time that I spent with her, the more I fell in love with her. And the less, I, I just didn't even think about that old person anymore. It just happened naturally. And I believe that if you have God time, if you are every day reading your Bible and spending time in prayer, those old things, they're just gonna start to fade away. Some of you in this room say that you're in love with Jesus. But if, if we were to do this really honest analysis of your life, if we were able to like look at all your behavior Maybe you even believe, I really love Jesus. But if we look at your life, is that the truth? Is that the real answer? Or, or are you lukewarm? And just keep this in mind. Like, you might be able to deceive others, and you can even deceive yourself about the quality of your relationship with God. But a day is coming when we will all stand before our creator, and there will be a moment of judgment. And you will not be able to deceive Jesus. He's gonna know the truth. What was he going to say? Is he going to say that you devoted your life to your true mission and your true calling? Or is he going to say that you settled for your shadow mission? Are you all in for Jesus or are you lukewarm? In your marriage, are you loving your spouse in the complete sacrificial way that Jesus loved his bride, the church? In your parenting, are you shepherding your children every day as if their eternal destiny was at stake? If you are a student, are you living each day at school as if you are the light of the world and that God wants to partner with you to bless every one of your classmates? If you're in the business world and you're in the marketplace, when people interact with you, do they think, do they say that something is different about you because you are a Christian? Are you all in? For all of us, I think we need to consider how we handle our free time. What is our priority? Are we spending time with God, reading the Bible and in prayer? Or are we creating these moments and saying, well, you know, God, I, I come to church on Sunday and I hope that's enough. No, like, we can't control when God's gonna show up. But we can control when we show up. And we can try to create these environments where maybe the Lord is gonna connect with us. But if we're so busy, you know, with whatever busy is for you, 
We're not going to be hearing a message from God. We're going to be hearing messages from other people or from TV or the internet or whatever it is. Are you creating space for God? What about in your finances? Do you handle your money like it all belongs to God or are you handling it like it mostly belongs to you? And I know we're in boundless and I'm not talking about like are you giving all of your money to the church? But if we look back at your spending patterns in 2019, does it look like the trend is more about you or about him? What about our personal purity? Because the reality of our world today is that wherever we go, we have access to images and videos and stories that are designed to elicit a sexual response from us. Pornography is a problem for both men and women. Is our goal 100% purity with not even a hint of immorality? Or are we content so long as we think that our struggle isn't quite as bad as you know, someone else that we know? One last area that I think that we need to really think about is how are we treating people who have hurt us or wounded us in some way? Are, are, are we holding on to grudges and saying that person does not deserve my forgiveness because of what they did to me? Maybe they wounded us and we just say, I can't let that go. It was too painful. But we have to remember, if we're all in for Jesus, Jesus was willing to forgive the people who hurt him, even the ones who murdered him on the cross. And if we're followers of Jesus, we need to follow his example. The question is, are we all in or are we lukewarm? Remember, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And the question is, are you gonna create space in your life to let your savior in? And we talked about this already, but what is true for us as individuals is certainly true for us as a church. Our mission at BRCC looks outward, seeking to inspire people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. But as BRCC continues to grow, there will always be a temptation as we get bigger and bigger to turn inward and give into our shadow mission and just focus on ourselves. As we get bigger and bigger, it's gonna be easier and easier for us to play it safe and not take any risks stepping out in faith because we feel like somehow we have a lot more to lose than we did before. But Jesus didn't call us to just do easy things for a few people. He called us to be bold and do hard things for all people in his name. God so loved the whole world. And I hope and I believe that that is what Boundless is all about. It is not just a slogan. Boundless is not about a bigger building. It is about a bigger impact for the kingdom of God. Our God doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be cold and refreshing, serving people the living water that can change their lives forever. And he wants us to be hot and therapeutic, helping to bring healing and relief to people whose lives are hurting. It won't be easy, but we have faith that in the end, it will be worth it. Just consider what Jesus says in verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus knows our destinies, and he has a plan for your life and for mine, which will result in us sitting with him on his heavenly throne. Jesus overcame what he faced, and by his strength, by his spirit living in us, he believes that we will be able to overcome what we are facing. That's what Boundless is all about. It's a chance for all of us to be all in. We can overcome. And someday, it's not gonna culminate in a building being built. It's gonna culminate in us sitting on a heavenly throne with the Savior who gave his life for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you sent your son 
and that he loves us enough that he was willing to give us such a clear message that what you said to the church in Laodicea still applies to our lives today. And Lord, as we seek a breakthrough, as we're at halftime, but we're seeking a breakthrough in the second half of Boundless, Lord, I pray that all of us would get in the game, that we would reject apathy, that we would say it's more to the, there is more to the Christian life than just avoiding some obvious big sins. I need to reject passivity and get in the game. I need to be all in. I'm not gonna be lukewarm. I'm gonna do what Jesus has asked me to do. And Lord, if you'll do that, we will trust you that there will be this unbelievable breakthrough. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.